Our scripture this morning is from Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The sermon series this summer is on prayer. And we introduced it, began it last week, and we described uh, a little bit of what the, the kind of the sermon title graphic is all about. We talked about that, that emoji that is known to be used and communicated uh, person to person via text on our phones. And it has these two hands clasped together. You can see it on the screen uh, right now if you're in the sanctuary. And uh, I have come to know that emoji as the prayer emoji. And uh, many of us uh, have at least seen that prayer emoji, or we might have used that prayer emoji along with our uh, thumbs up. That's a really popular one, right? The red heart is also very popular. Maybe a smiling face is popular. What's another emoji that you use? Any? This one? Yes? And this one, yeah, there's a lot of the, the hand on the forehead, you know, that kind of thing. And the laughing? That you're crying, yeah, exactly. The laughing and then the, the, the kind of the smiley face with the tears that is not that you're sad, it's that you're, you're happy and you are crying, you're crying, you're laughing so hard you're crying. Good. So, okay, so we have these emojis that are, that are these, these, uh, these graphics that communicate something that can be communicated with words. So sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words, and when you see two hands clasped together like this, you think of prayer. And prayer, well, you can certainly say a thousand words or more about prayer. I mean, that's just one word, and yet all the different ways that people pray, all the different things that you can pray for, how do you approach it? Well, what we're doing this summer is we're actually doing something fairly simple in our sermon series to accompany an, a more in-depth study using the prayer practice from practicingtheway.org. But in this study on Sunday morning, we are leveling up our prayer life with the Apostle Paul. So we're looking at the writings of the Apostle Paul. They are epistles or letters to the churches, most of whom which he planted as the organizing pastor of those churches. And what we'll find is that as we go from letter to letter to letter, we'll note that the Apostle Paul was always teaching these Christians about prayer, encouraging them to pray. And we're going to take these words and, and just explore the different aspects. Now, last week... It was 4th of July weekend, and so uh, I decided to start it out with, with a text from 1 Timothy where, where Paul wrote, first of all, I urge you to pray, and he used four different words for prayer, uh, to pray for everyone and for rulers and people in authority. So we, we talked about that, that, that prayer with our, with our eyes open to the world 
and praying what we see and praying for those in positions of influence in public life. Because as we pray for everyone, it's pretty strategic to pray for those people who are in positions whose decisions and wisdom affect everyone. So today, we hit a very beloved uh, passage on prayer. It is from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, there's a little bit of a heads up with this sermon, excuse me, because this fall, the sermon series is going to be a study of Philippians, and we are going to, to, it's going to be an eight-session study. We're going to develop some small group materials that go directly along with the sermon, and uh, the inspiration for studying Philippians, uh, there's a lot of reasons, and I'll express those as time comes, but also on my recent travels to Greece, uh, my wife Crystal and I spent a good amount of time in and near Philippi in Greece, in northern Greece, uh, the province of, of Macedonia. And uh, so I was so inspired by that that, uh, that I thought we've got to bring this back with fresh energy and insight to study Philippians, which uh, to many of, of an experienced believer uh, Philippians is, is often one of the more well-beloved books in the entire Bible. And there's a reason for that. Joy is a theme. The closeness of relationship between us and Jesus is a theme. And the closeness of our relationship with one another in the body of Christ is a theme. And uh, spiritual friendship. In fact, Philippians is an example of a letter of friendship. Because Paul developed such a close relationship while he was with them in Philippi. Uh, that when he wrote his letter to them later, he addressed them in, in a very warm way. And these words that we are looking at today are addressed to those original recipients of the letter, but also addressed to us, and they come to us in a very warm way. I'm going to read the passage again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This text holds within it one of the most beloved promises of Scripture and indeed one of the greatest promises of prayer. But prayer is given a context here. In verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything but... So, so don't be anxious, like in your anxiety, if you're experiencing anxiety, do this, is basically what he is saying. And the do this is to pray. So there's a connection between the anxiety that we experience in the human lives that we're living, and that prayer is like one of the tools that God gives us to bless us and strengthen us as we face 
the anxieties that we encounter. And boy, are there ways that we encounter anxiety in our lives, aren't there? Anxiety variety. I mean, is there a limit to the, the different types of anxiety that we can feel as human beings? There, is a, there was a book written earlier this century. I th- are we well long enough to be able to say earlier this century? I think, I think we are. I think past 2020, you can kind of do that. Earlier this century, uh, a, a British journalist of note wrote a book titled The Seven Basic Plots, Why We Tell Stories. And uh, commentators who, who read this book uh, appreciated it for the most part. They, they criticized it in some ways as well, but mostly because they felt like the scope of it was audacious. In that, in that this author uh, was trying to basically sum up every story that has ever been written in seven different plots. So basically, there's seven stories. And it, just, it, just, it changes in terms of the time and the date and the place on the globe where it happens and the people involved. But there's seven plots. So are you interested in knowing what they are? Okay. The first plot, this author, Christopher Booker, named overcoming the monster overcoming the monster think of a story that you know think of a movie series that you know that's about overcoming some evil person or evil force to try to restore order or the good to things name anyone that you any story that you're familiar with that is that dracula more star wars great great example yes any younger how about younger folks there's a certain wizard. Harry Potter, yes. Yes. It's not like Harry Potter. These are just like these wizards who are just walk, waltzing around uh, and there's no evil presence or anything. It's like, no, there's the, well, we can't say that name, can we? Okay, so overcoming the monster. Now, the reason why we're sharing these is think about the times in your life where you're living that story where you're engaged, your story is the story of overcoming the monster. There's something, there's something, there's a force of evil, something that has to be reckoned with in your life, and you're struggling against that. You're trying to hold on to the good in the face of, of something that's evil. Many of us have experienced that. If I think most of us at some time in our lives are living that story. The next story is rags to riches. Rags to riches. So some of the examples of that uh, classic story, uh, actually some of our, great, our fairy tales are very much in this genre. Cinderella, uh, Cinderella, she comes from the ashes uh, in order to, uh, to be rags to riches. Uh, Aladdin is an example of that story. So think about, think about the anxieties that are experienced along the road from rags to riches. Like, when we meet the protagonist, they're in rags, and it's not really clear how they're going to escape from that place. And then the story begins. So you think about what's the anxiety that you have when you are in that place of rags or that place of deep poverty. The third is the quest. This is the quest for, 
for something. It doesn't, hold on if, you're, if your idea of this includes a return home, because that's a different story that I'm about to share. But the quest is, is that you, you have a mission. And your mission is to get from the starting place of the mission to the goal of the mission. And on your way there, you are going to encounter a lot of obstacles. Some of these, well, the original one would be the Iliad. There is uh, another movie series that has been quite popular uh, in this century, and that's The Lord of the Rings would be an example of that. And also, there's a new movie addition to a, to a set of movies that is uh, currently, that stars uh, the same actor in the title role, Indiana Jones. Yes, the Indiana Jones thing is all about the quest. Uh, and uh, so, beyond the quest, the, the thing that's like the quest but includes a return journey is the voyage and return. So the Odyssey was like that. But also, think about Alice in Wonderland. Think about H.G. Wells, the time machine. Think about the Lion King and the, and the journey uh, that needs to be done in order to come back and be a different person uh, and from that journey. The fifth is comedy. Now, comedy as a, as a storyline isn't only about humor. Yes, it includes humor, but what really makes something comedy is, is really the happy ending. But it's a, it's a happy ending that you, you didn't know how it was going to be there. And oftentimes, it's really confusing what's going on. That is what a comedy uh, is. And sometimes our lives are comedies. Basically, every rom-com ever produced is a comedy, by definition. But you see some of the comedies... So, we're talking about comedy right now. The next one will be tragedy. And we've come to know comedy and tragedy so much in our Western world through Shakespeare's writings. So Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream, for instance, is, is, a, is a comedy. Now then you move to tragedy. Tragedy. So Shakespeare again, Hamlet, Macbeth. What happens to, the, what happens to, what happens to a lot of people in the tragedies? They die, yes, they die. Now, what's interesting about tragedy is that tragedy isn't just the downfall of evil. It's really good, basically good people who have a fatal flaw. And it's, it's really meant, tragedies are really kind of meant for us to really be introspective about the things within us that if we aren't aware of those things might lead to our own downfall, like fill in the blank. Uh, in the 20th century, the great Gatsby is a, is a great example of that type of tragedy um, where, where it didn't have to work out that way, and yet it did. And then finally, the seventh is rebirth. This is transformation through change, like Beauty and the Beast. What's common to all of these stories is that there is anxiety. There's anxiety at some point in each one of these stories, and that's what makes the plot go. And what, ha- what, is, what each one of these anxious moments has within it, and I encourage you to think about this in terms of your, your own life, is what all different anxious situations have in common is apprehension about the uncertainty of the future. The future is uncertain. 
even a garden variety fear or anxiety you might have, say, of like speaking in public, it's the, the anxiety is really about what happens if I mess up? Because I might mess up. That's uncertain. I may not do a great job in this. What will happen? And that leads to anxiety. As human beings, we are gifted. God's given us the gift of being able to imagine a future and orient our lives toward the future. But sometimes, anxiety can be triggered in us. It could be our health, the unknown future of our health. It could be a job. Maybe we don't have a job and we need a job, but we don't know what the future holds. How long will I go unemployed? What kind of job will I have? Will I like it? Will my coworkers be okay? Will I make enough money to, to live on? Our relationships, what comes with that is an unknown future. You know, even when, when, uh, when, when there's a wedding, for instance, you have the bride and the groom who are, who are taking those vows of marriage. There's an uncertain future. There's commitments, but the vows are meant to cover any seasons, even those that are heavily anxious. It could be about anxiety about larger things in the future, like, say, say the environment. You know, there's a lot of, of that anxiety in our, in our world today, that sense of what does the future hold if natural resources uh, are in the state they are right now. What about 50 years from now? What about 100 years from now? An uncertain future. It can be triggered by the economy. I mean, the stock market. That's literally like the poster child for an uncertain future. And sometimes a very anxious moment. They can be triggered by real-world events. It could be like, say, a doctor's visit that brings up uh, maybe a diagnosis, a treatment plan that shocks us and we don't know what the future holds. Or it could be our own thoughts about real threats and those converge even into imagined threats. We can, we can get kind of stuck in that loop and our anxiety starts to take over more and more. It's given to us as a gift by God to alert us to danger so that we can protect ourselves and others but if those worries persist and intensify without some type of a positive problem-solving mechanism being engaged, we can get stuck in anxiety. And this is where Paul's words in Philippians come into play, is that prayer is being proposed as the part we can play in God's problem-solving mechanism. Prayer is a part of how we face life, the life that we experience. And we are encouraged to step away from our anxiety or turn away from it and turn toward God to bring our requests to God. So we're invited to go to God. So in our text from Philippians, we read in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, 
This list right here, there are three different words for prayer. They are three of the four words for prayer that were used by Paul in his letter to Timothy that we focused on last week. The one that's not in this list is the one for intercession. But you have in rapid fire, you have prayer as in the the devoted aspect of prayer. That's the conversation between you and God. There's intimacy there. There is petition, which comes out of need, right? Petition is asking for what we feel we need. And then finally, there's thanksgiving. And that's our expressions of gratitude for God, to God for what we recognize and acknowledge God has done and given to us. So when we think about what we're being presented here, the presenting your request to God is linked to the second word for prayer that in the English translation is petition. Petition means presenting your request to God. That's what that word means. Now, petition is between this word for prayer, prosuke, and thanksgiving, eucharisto. It's like a sandwich, and because it's the summer, we're going to imagine it as an ice cream sandwich, okay? You've got two cookies, and you've got the ice cream in the middle. The ice cream in the middle in this text is praying your request to God. In the Greek text, it's literally make known your requests to God. But what keeps this prayer from being just, just us listing out what we want from God, demanding it from God? Is that, is that the, the end all and be all of prayer? No, because it's not just ice cream, it's an ice cream sandwich. And the top cookie is Prayer that is devoted conversation. That's where the relationship is. So, so God is not just there for us to make our request to. When we are invited to pray and petition, in prayer, we're invited to draw near to God in intimate conversation. The God who loves us. The God who cares. This is the word that describes the, the conversation between the God who loves us and us who recognize that we are loved by God. It's intimate conversation. And so, so our requests are meant to be offered to God in the context of intimate conversation. And then on the bottom side of the sandwich, that very important cookie is thanksgiving. Thanking God, recognizing And saying to God, God, I acknowledge that you are in my life, that you have given me these gifts, that you already have done these things for me, transforms our prayer request list. We see that we're not just starting from a blank slate, are we? It's not like, well, God, you've never done anything for me. Here's my five things that I want to have you do for me. In fact, it's exactly the opposite of that. It's it's you might you might get stuck for a while in Prayers of thanksgiving. If you want to itemize all of the things that God has done for you, and all of a sudden you start thinking, you know, God might actually do something in response to my request now that I think about all the things God has done for me. That's the power of gratitude in our prayer life. So remember that. The the prayer sandwich, where your petitions in this text, they are what Paul is inviting us to do. And for some of us, we feel kind of like weird because is God really asking us to to tell him our requests? Yes. 
But remember the sandwich. Remember the intimate relationship and also the power of thanksgiving. Now, one last uh, encouragement that I want to offer is, is related to, to what... What might you be looking for in your requests? And there's a way of getting some meaning from this text, from the first verse and the last verse, from verse, verses 4 and 5 and verse 7 of this text. So Paul says, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness, gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. So there's got to be something about the anxiety that we feel that, that led Paul to, say, to remind us to rejoice and then say it again, rejoice. So could it be that one of those things that leads us to know kind of what we might need to put on our list to request from God might have to do with the things that make us struggle to rejoice? What's stealing our joy? What is it that's keeping us from rejoicing in the Lord? What about gentleness? What about our interactions with other people? What's causing us to be the opposite of gentle, rough with people? Maybe that's the source that we need to go deeper into. Is there an anxiety in there that's causing that, that I might be able to ask God for the gentleness that I need? And then finally, and this is where we'll uh, start moving toward the end of our sermon is the encouragement and the promise in verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now notice that here there are no promises about God's answers to the petitions. There, There will be, but God will choose in God's wisdom and God's love and his mercy, what those answers will be. But there's one thing that is a, a sure thing. And that is that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds as you bring your requests, as you make them known to God in prayer. In the anxiety variety that we encounter in every situation, we're invited to go to God with our requests with the full assurance of God's promised peace. Amen.